On this week's episode of Inside Outside Innovation, we sit down with Ward Sandler. Ward is the co-founder of Memberspace. We had a great conversation about the whole no-code movement, what it takes to build a remote workforce, and all things entrepreneurship. Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast that brings you the best and the brightest in the world of startups and innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, founder of InsideOutside.io, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that help innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. Each week, we'll give you a front row seat to the latest thinking, tools, tactics, and trends in collaborative innovation. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, and as always, we have another amazing guest. With me this week is Ward Sandler. Ward is the co-founder of Memberspace. Welcome to the show, Ward. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. Hey, I'm excited to have you on the board. I actually got connected with you because I had written a blog post about the whole no-code movement and how there really are no more excuses that people can have about, I can't find developers, I can't find different ways to build my stuff. And I mentioned Memberspace as one of those no-code movement platforms out there that's making this democratization of innovation a little bit easier. I want to have you on the podcast to talk a little bit more about what you think about this whole no-code movement. We started Memberspace before no-code or hashtag no-code was like really a thing. We've been around since 2015 and no-code I'd say has come up more in like the last two years really. But that being said, we've always been really focused on non-technical entrepreneurs, especially for what our software does. We allow you to turn your website, any part of your website into members only in a few clicks. Like that's what we do. And for a lot of folks, that's what they want, but they don't want the headache of having to hire a developer to get into code or anything like that. So we've been quote unquote, no code from the jump. And that's always been an ethos of ours is we want to make this really easy for anyone to use. So tell me a little bit about Memberspace and how did it get started in your journey as an entrepreneur? We used to be a consulting company. We did everything from custom software to e-commerce sites. Then we narrowed in on Squarespace, just building, designing, and supporting Squarespace websites. Funny enough, it was very specific, but it was a huge need, a lot of volume of, of customers. And from there, we found that one of the biggest requested features was membership because Squarespace doesn't have that out of the box. So people wanted to have member-only pages on their Squarespace site. Figure that out by visiting the Squarespace forum and sorting the list by most voted. And that was like one of the top features. And we read through the comments and basically realized, you know, there's no real good solution for that. So we built a real quick MVP in like a month or two, launched that, had great feedback, and then kept iterating and adding features. And it's taken off since then. And we've expanded outside of Squarespace. Now we're available on basically any website. Talk about bootstrapping a company versus, you know, you hear a lot about the TechCrunch whole unicorn world. Talk a little bit about how you got to where you are and what are your thoughts on that space? Just to caveat it real quick, we did take a small amount of funding from a great organization called Earnest Capital who is more about funding bootstrap businesses like ours. We took that last year, more for the mentor network than anything else. Not really, we didn't actually need the money. It was more just to be part of that group and community, which has been fantastic. But the way we've approached things is we always wanted to get funding from customers, right? Which sounds simple (laughs) and and obvious, but uh, especially in the Valley, that's not necessarily the default. So we always were like, okay, we're gonna build this thing and we're gonna have customers pay us from the beginning. And that's how we'll know how things are going. This is something we can really make a go at. And can we stop doing consulting work? Which, you know, at this point, we don't do anymore. For a while, we were doing consulting in parallel with software, which I think is one of those 
quasi secrets out there for a lot yeah. of SaaS and software companies is that a lot of them were started by people who generally were doing consulting first because that's almost always where everybody starts who first learns how to do design development work online. They start with consulting because it's the lowest hanging fruit and then you can get paid right away to do it. But a lot of those people keep doing consulting while they're building up a software because anyone who's tried to build a, a software, especially like a SaaS product, knows it's a long ramp. It takes a while to you actually are generating enough recurring revenue for this to be your full-time source of revenue. And so we were doing that as well for a while. But it helps you focus. It helps you learn what's working, what's not, right? If people aren't paying you, if you have a lot of people canceling, if you're not growing, you have to iterate and you got to figure out what to do next to, to kind of get things moving in the right direction. Talk about your process of developing a software as a service business, like the minimum viable product, or how did you actually go about converting it from a consulting practice to, hey, we're going to create a product and sell that? Yeah. So back to my initial story about searching the Squarespace forums, this is a head nod to uh, Amy Hoy, her sales safari methodology. But basically, whatever you want to do out there, what I always recommend, and I got this from Amy, is you want to solve problems that people already have. Uh, right. It's a lot easier to do that than to have some brilliant stroke of insight and to have this amazing idea you came up with. Instead, look through the web. It's littered with data of people complaining about problems <laughs> or solutions that exist and problems with those existing solutions. And that's essentially what we did with Squarespace is we went to the forum, saw that there was all these people, tens of thousands, I think it was like 100,000 right. uh, that were voted for this topic of adding memberships to Squarespace. I didn't have to think, oh, I wonder if people want this. I know people want it. There's proof right there that unsolicited feedback that people said, this is a problem and I want a solution. And then I literally read through every single comment in that thread. So this is the hard part that is manual and not fun and not sexy, but it's vital because by reading every comment of people in that thread that I found, I was able to really figure out what are the current ways people are solving this problem and what are the problems and what do they like about those current ways. And right. then from there, we were able to build the most minimum viable product possible, which was literally just logging in and signing up. And by signing up, it means literally adding an email address to create an account. And after you do that, now you get access to certain pages on the website. And that was all it did. There was no other features, no, not even charging. It was as simple as possible. And then I'm assuming from there, when you have your first customer, beta customer, user, et cetera, then you go even deeper into that customer discovery process from the theoretical, here's what they said that they wanted based on a forum, but here's how they're actually using it. Here's what the problems are. Here's how you can iterate and build from there. Is that correct? Yeah. So really that sales safari concept I talked about, that's for the beginning and, and maybe early stage of the business, right? Mm -hmm. Because that data is right there. You don't have customers yet. So you right. need data from something and you don't want to just make it up in your head. So it's a good way to kind of anchor your thinking to instead of, I think this is what people want, go with what they actually wrote they want. It sounds so like <laughs> stupid and obvious. Right. But it's amazing when people don't actually follow that. Now, nothing's going to be guaranteed to be successful, but this at least sets you up to be much more likely. After you get traction, and by traction, I mean actual people using your product and actual people paying you, that's when you can start to use that feedback as the main point of data in terms of what to build next and, and all of that. Hey, listeners, I wanted to pause this episode with a word from our sponsor, Nerdery. Nerdery is a digital business consultancy partnering with Fortune 100 and 500 companies to create new digital products and modernize their current technology. One of their clients is Google Cloud. Google Cloud wanted to create a seamless and connected digital experience at its biggest event of the year, Google Next. 
they turned to Nerdery to design and develop the event app that would power this Google experience for 35,000 event attendees. Bridging strategy to execution, Nerdery creates digital solutions that accelerate the ambitions of businesses. Learn more at nerdery.com. So let's talk a little bit about member space and how are your customers using your tools and that what are people using member-based content in that for and how is that whole space evolving? It's a pretty crazy space if you step back a bit because the ability to basically have member-only content is pretty general, right? There's a lot of tools that do things like that from Teachable and Thinkific to Gumroad to us. So there's a lot of ways to have courses or member-only stuff. Where we're different is that we allow you to keep everything on your site. Nobody leaves to go to some subdomain. Everyone just is on your website. So you're, and it's your pages that you're protecting. It's not like a member space generated page. It's your own website's pages. And so for a lot of people, that's amazing because it allows them to have 100% control over the look and feel of the content that their members are consuming. It's an interesting space because it's growing every day, right? There's more people today than yesterday who want to have a member-only business. And I think that trend is going to continue for the foreseeable future. I think as more and more people go online and try to create their own businesses, and anyone who's trying to create a business these days, it has to have an online component. A lot of people have realized that the recurring revenue business model is uh, very powerful, especially once you can get to a certain level of, you know, let's say like 10,000 a month of recurring revenue. It's a pretty amazing way to do things because it's unlikely to shift up or down very dramatically in any given month. So it's a relatively stable way to make money instead of a roller coaster of consulting where you get a project, then you don't have a project, then you get two more projects, et cetera. I think a lot of people like the level and the stability of having a recurring revenue membership business. And what I like about that and the way you, again, tied it into the no-code concept, it, it unlocks a lot of that innovation that people have in their heads, but may not be the technical person to uh, get that out there. But it gives them a platform and a means to do that without having to build it all themselves. Talk a little bit about how you built your team. I understand that you have a lot of remote employees, maybe all remote employees. How did you build out your team and grow from there? Yeah, we're fully remote, which has been great. There's also challenges to it, just like everything. The way we built it out, though, it wasn't some grand plan. It was most <laughs> of the team is friends. We're all friends. Most of us are from college. You know, a lot of people I think out there would say, don't work with your friends. That's not a good idea. And I think there's some merit to that in some cases. But in our case, it's worked out so far. And I think the upsides of working with friends is you know them and therefore you trust them, right? They're right. not some random human. I don't have to worry about their intentions. For us, that's been nice. We've been able to just kind of trust people to do the work and to keep things moving forward. But yeah, working remote is its own set of challenges in terms of how you communicate. You lose a lot of information, right? If you and I were standing in front of each other right now having this conversation, it's, it's different than what we're doing right now, where it's audio only. We don't have any video. There's right. social cues. There's information that's lost. And so if you abstract that even further, where it's just text-based communication, which is what most remote work is, there's even more nuance that's lost to the communication information. So you have to be really careful with tone and how things are phrased and all that kind of thing. You have to be intentional about things like social things, like, you know, what, what books have you read? What movies have you seen lately? Right. Things like that. So it's not all just work, work, work. 
because you want to foster a community of people who know each other, not just from a work perspective. So all those kind of things are things we're still working on. We don't have it perfect yet. Basecamp, uh, the company, I think it's done a great job of presenting publicly some examples of how to do this, how they keep their culture vibrant and all that. So it's interesting though so far. I was going to ask what particular tools that you use or have you seen particular tricks or tips for folks that are building out a remote team that have worked for you? Nothing that's going to surprise anyone out there. We use Basecamp to kind of run everything. Then we use Zoom for video calls and all that. But to be honest, I don't think the tools are that important. I think it's more the the systems that you put in place to, to proactively make sure everybody's staying engaged with each other. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the new trends that you're seeing out there in this particular space? Again, we'll go back to the no-code thing, but what are you seeing out there that's changing the way entrepreneurs are getting up and going or corporates are innovating with startups? I guess the word that comes to mind is speed. And I think that's related to no-code as well. Just how fast and easy it is today to start an online business and to charge people a dollar, at least for something. Like that's never been as easier in the history of the world than it is today. And tomorrow it'll be a little easier. And it's just, that's crazy to me, like in a good way, like how easy (laughs) it is to start something. So that means the barriers to entry for anyone who has an internet connection and a functioning brain, you know, it's really your ambition level uh, and time that you can put into something to figure out, okay, there's no longer these technical barriers anymore to start something online. Now it's more about the challenges of finding an audience. There's so much noise out there now, right? Because of these lowered barriers to entry, there's a lot more people trying to do things. And so therefore more noise, harder for the signal to cut through. So that's where the new challenges are. How do you build an audience? How do you create content that's not just, okay, put something online and charge people money. No one's just going to pay you money, right? Nobody's looking for ways to spend (laughs) money. It's harder because you're competing with higher quality content that's out there too. I think the challenges have shifted, but I think it's a good thing to shift, right? Instead Mm -hmm. of saying, oh, well, maybe you'd have a good business, but you're not smart enough to figure out how to program a membership software. And it's like, well, that's no longer a problem, which I think is fantastic, right? Stripe, the payment gateway, I think is a, a wonderful company. They've really made it as easy as possible to integrate payments and billing and all of that. That's the payment gateway we integrate with. And that's the only one we integrate with because we just like the way they do business and the way their API works. But I just think that it's an amazing time to be able to start an online business. And I'm really happy that we're part of that wave. Absolutely. You mentioned content in that. And I know that you have a podcast as well, the Member Maker Podcast. Talk about how you build your company through content. We've always had pretty good SEO. We never really had too much of a content presence, to be honest, when we first started. Our main way that we got people was through customer support, really, and people being evangelical about member space. Like We tried to really treat people well, and they liked that, surprisingly. And they would tell their friends and post on Facebook groups and and all over the internet about how great we were, and they'd create videos and tutorials. And that really got us a lot of good traction. But more recently, we've been more proactive about creating our own content in terms of step-by-step guides and business strategies specific to memberships and the Member Maker podcast that you mentioned, which I find really interesting just to talk with folks who have started membership businesses that have varying levels of success. They're not all just like giant memberships. Some of them have like (laughs) 50 members, right? Just so people can get an idea of the reality of what it's like to get to that point and what what were their challenges along the way, what they do right, what they do wrong, that kind of thing. I find that really interesting. And so far, it's been resonating with folks in terms of the traffic that it's generating. You know, we're not too obsessed with the numbers, to be honest. We try to put things out there that we think are valuable and useful. And we're hoping if, if other people agree with that, that that will naturally lead to people, you know, learning about and potentially using member space. 
Ward, it's been a pleasure to talk to you about all this kind of stuff. If people want to find out more about MemberSpace, about the MemberMaker podcast or yourself, what's the best way to do that? For MemberSpace, just go to memberspace.com and then in our resources section, we have a link to the podcast right there. For Twitter, you can get at me at Ward Sandler and MemberSpace is at MemberSpace on Twitter. Well, thank you again for being on Inside Outside Innovation. Look forward to continuing the conversation in the days to come. Great. Thanks, Brian. That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Artinger. Until next time, go out and innovate.